Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. I think I'm going to start with a, a reading today. Uh, we're using Creative Ideas by Ernest Holmes this month. And our subject this particular week is Radiant Good Health. And so I'm reading from the chapter called, I Am Radiant With Health. He says, whatever we identify ourselves with, we tend to become. Whatever we think about gradually becomes a subconscious pattern, always tending to manifest itself in our experience of the world and in our experience of ourselves. Therefore, we should endeavor to identify our bodies with the spiritual reality, which is the very substance and essence of physical perfection. We do not deny the body, but we affirm that it is irradiant with the perfection of God. There is an inner life of complete perfection at the center of everything. We should identify ourselves with this perfect pattern, claiming its reality in our experience. Perfect God, perfect human, perfect individual. Well, you'll remember last week we talked about a, a kind of a three-step program for creating in our own lives success. And you'll remember we talked about the idea of, well, first of all, we have to uh, have a sense of what success is. And we spent a little bit of time building what I call the mental equivalent for success. And then we went on to talk about part two of this three-step program is eliminating anything in our thinking, any, uh, any beliefs, any ideas that would stand in the way of that success. And then part three, although simple, of course, required our full participation. That was simply to step forward into that mental equivalent, using it as a decision point. Would this decision take me closer to my idea of success or further away? Would this idea help me or hinder me uh, in my sense of success? So, so kind of an easy three-step program. I would like to suggest Ernest Holmes here in this quote is telling us the same is true literally for our physical bodies. That if there's anything going on in our physical bodies that we don't like, it can respond to our thinking just as powerfully as the outside world, just as powerfully as our success in business, just as powerfully in our success in relationships or other things, we can have a level of success with our own bodies in terms of healing, in terms of vitality, uh, in terms of living the life and having this body support it in whatever way that we wish. Now, some of you are probably having a moment of skepticism here, and I want to talk about this. Last week, you'll remember, I said that our, our main problem, our main issue, was really having a clear idea of what success is. Well, I don't think that's our problem this week. I think all of us know what it feels like when we're in good health. All of us absolutely know the, the vitality, the, the able to do the things we want to do, the, the good level of, uh, of whatever it is that we think of as good physical health. We've all experienced at one point in time. Many of us are probably experiencing it today. We know what it feels like. So the mental equivalent part here is easy. I think it's the overcoming objections part of it. I think that most of us on some... Um, subconscious level maybe, really don't believe that our mind has that much power over our physical body. And I, I, I want to uh, challenge us for a moment here. See if any of these sound familiar. 
Do we really think that our diseases are caused by our thinking? Or do we think that it's a factor of old age? That as we get older, our body just tends to fall about. Do we really believe that it's our thinking processes that, that cause um, cancers? Or do we think it's smoking? Do we really think that it's what we ate that caused that problem over a, a lifetime of poor eating? Uh, or do we think that it's the way we think about our eating? Do you see where I'm going with this? We are very used to the idea that our medical conditions, whether it be good or whether it be bad, are caused by things on the outside of us, by what we eat, um, uh, how we show up in the environment, uh, and maybe a little bit, you know, you know, medical science, of course, uh, moves forward in the world. And so uh, most medical folks will tell you that a lot of the things that people are going to the doctor for these days are what we call lifestyle disease issues. And of course, that is brought on by stress. And so, so, so certainly medical science is saying, no, it is a large part of what you're thinking. It's you being in a stew all the time. It's you worrying all the time. It's the anxiousness with which you bring to the table and and so on that causes a, a lot of the diseases that we're looking at these days. But still, I think most of us are more used to thinking that disease is caused by external factors, not by what I think. And because of that, I'm guessing most of us think that disease is cured by outside factors, not what we think. Don't we have a, a lot of faith in pills, in doctors, in supplements, in better eating and exercise, in energy healing, in chiropractic, and like you name it, right? We seek out on the outside uh, the cures to uh, to what's ailing our bodies. Well now, I don't think, first of all, that any of these are wrong. You know, firmly in the science of mind, we believe that if a pill helps, well, why wouldn't you take it? Everything that we experience is part of the divine, and that includes a, a doctor visit or a pill or whatever, uh, what, what, whatever kind of healing modality works for you. But I think we have come to a sorry state when we tend to think that our thinking processes don't have that much effect. We'll use our thinking processes to get us a good job. We'll use our thinking processes and our prayer work uh, to heal relationships. But when it comes down to really praying about our own health, when it comes to really feeling some power in our own contemplation of our bodies and uh, in our lifestyles, somehow then we think, no, it's probably a pill that's going to take care of this. Why, you know, why would meditating really help. Even though science points out that meditation is marvelous for lowering blood pressure, for, for calming anxiety issues and so on. Even though studies have shown that specific prayer work and, uh, and being part of a spiritual community aid dramatically in the healing process of people coming out of the hospital. Even though there have been research in those areas, it's often not what we think of first. And so today I'd like us to reverse this little bit of a trend, if we can, if we're up for it. I would like us to begin thinking that prayer support, I'd like us to begin thinking that our own belief system can play a major part in our healings, can be the foundation, if you will, or one of the foundations anyway, in us having full and vigorous and long-lived lives.
So how do we switch this up? Well, first, uh, if you're willing, a minor history lesson. Uh, so in 1850, how do you think you would go about being treated for cancer? You would go to the barber. Well, of course, you'd go to the barber, right? In 1850, medical science had not progressed well enough to the point where cancer was well understood. And so literally, the recommendation would be to go to someone who had the proper surgical tools. And at that time, as likely as not, it would have been the barber in your small rural community. And the barber would have used some of his or her barbering tools to remove your cancer. Now think about that for a minute. It kind of makes going to a tent for, a, for a, a, a healing session with the minister kind of pretty attractive, doesn't it? And in fact, the beginnings of the science of mind movement or the new thought movement was in the 1850s by a gentleman called Phineas Quimby. And he had a, a huge successful track record of healing people of any number of really significant diseases through prayer and through contemplation. And people flocked to him and he was hugely successful and I think a great part of it was the beliefs that people had. They didn't particularly have any belief that the doctors could heal them, but they had a great deal of faith in healers. Great success rate. In fact, uh, the Quimby manuscripts, if you ever have a chance, check that out at the library because uh, it has a lot of his letters, a lot of uh, hundreds of thank you letters from his, uh, 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 from his followers that were cured of everything from uh, cancer and leukemia and other diseases that today we would say, really? A prayer for leukemia? It's like, wake up. I also want to talk a little bit about uh, uh, medical science and the progress that it's made. And uh, I want to start with something that I think might interest you a little bit. Is everyone familiar with the idea of blind and double-blind uh, experiments, especially uh, to test the efficacy of drugs and, and different treatment regimens? So let me read why we use this particular methodology. This is from the uh, Wikipedia. It says a blind or blinded experiment is an experiment in which information about the test is kept from the participant to reduce or eliminate bias until after a trial outcome is known. If both the tester and the subject are blinded, the trial is called a double-blind experiment. Blind testing is used whenever items are to be compared without influences from the tester's preferences, expectations, or beliefs. Let me read that again. Blind testing is used wherever items are to be compared without the influences from testers' preferences, beliefs, or expectations. For example, in clinical trials to evaluate the effectiveness of medicinal drugs and procedures without a placebo effect. Well, okay, so then I had to look up placebo effect. Bear with me here. A placebo may be given to a person in a clinical context in order to deceive the recipient into thinking that it is an active treatment. The use of placebos is ethically problematic, 
Although there is significant evidence that placebos presented as placebos will provide much of the same benefits without deception. Did I just read that? The reason that they do double-blind experiments is because placebos are extraordinarily effective. Sometimes the placebos are as effective as the new drug they're testing. Well, of course, those drugs don't make it to market, right? Because they're not found to have any value that just taking a sugar pill wouldn't have. Double-blind experiments are necessary because of the power of our thinking. We have an extraordinary power through our own belief system to cure ourselves. It's the whole reason they have to test drugs this way. Otherwise, people might uh, be taking drugs that they think will help them when really it's their belief in the drug, belief in the outcome of the treatment that really is what's effective. We're back to Phineas Quimby. We're back to the idea that our beliefs, our, our, our belief that absolutely I can be healed of this is as strong as the means by which the healing might come. Make sense? So how can we begin bolstering this in ourselves? Now, I'm not saying, believe me, I'm totally not saying we should put aside some of the treatments that are so very effective, right? I mean, our doctors are trained, pharmacists know what they're doing. They do conduct these uh, experiments to, to find the, the drugs and the treatments and the different regimens and programs that are helpful. We should take advantage of that and, and, why would we not want to put the power of our mind involved as well? See, that's my thing. I think we've gone overboard the other way. We're putting our hands, our very lives, our health uh, into belief in something outside of ourselves. The treatment will take care of it. The pill will take care of it. The better diet will take care of it. And all of these are things that will help and let us also pray about it. Let us also meditate about it. Let us also do the things that we can do from a mental and psychological standpoint to reduce the stress that we know interferes with the treatment, to have ourselves in a positive frame of mind for healing, for absolutely knowing in our heart of hearts that we can be healed. The evidence points to the fact that that in itself is curative that that in itself will have a benefit to us. So this isn't a replace. We need to get rid of all that stuff and just pray about it. But I'm wanting to suggest that over the years, we've gone too far the other way. And it's time to recognize that our spiritual communities, that our prayers, that, uh, uh, that the gifts that we can give to one another through our, our knowing of this spiritual truth of wholeness and perfection, that it's time to begin highlighting that. It's time to be giving it uh, equal importance in our, in our plans for therapy, whatever that might be. So you've made the doctor appointment. Have you made the practitioner appointment? You're taking the pill. Are you also spending 15 minutes in meditation every day? Do you see where I'm going with this? There is a spiritual component to healing. And when we leave that out, 
the healings take longer. Recent studies have shown that people who belong to a spiritual community and who have regular interactions uh, uh, in, in, a, in a manner of faith in terms of ch- uh, church uh, and, uh, and uh, 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 spiritual readings and so forth have an astronomically higher rate uh, and shorter healing periods post-surgery, for instance. That's one of the studies that's come out recently, that we heal faster when we know that we're spiritually being held in prayer and belong to a spiritual community. One of the ways I think that we can begin bolstering this idea of using spiritual means to help with our healing, to, to really have the robust kind of lives we want to have, is to begin investigation about what we really believe in our own hearts and if there are impediments to that. For instance, if we believe that uh, whatever condition we have right now, well, I just inherited it from my parents. There's nothing I can do about it, right? Something my mom had, and now I'm my mom's age, so gosh darn it, I'm just stuck with it. Do you see how that's a a limiting belief? Do you see how that can really stand in the way of us having a a vigorous life forward? We're almost saying, well, I'm just up for whatever that disease was uh, because I expect it. I'm suggesting we start looking at it a different way. Just because our parents had it doesn't mean we have to have it. No. Just because it's in our uh, genetic makeup that there's a, perhaps a, a slight greater chance that we could get something, why does that have to be me? Why does that gene have to be expressed? It can be there without being expressed. Similarly, I think a lot of us just say, well, it's because of how I've lived my life. I'm just worn out. There's nothing I can do about that. I'm 65 years old and I'm just worn out. You know, I I rode the uh, the horse hard and put it away wet, and here I am. You know, there's nothing to be done about that. Again, it's like, really? Really? Do you think that somehow because we reach a certain age, our body has to be in decline? See, I I think this is crazy. I, I think that we are really limiting our experience of health and happiness in the world based on the flimsiest of evidence. Instead, if we look within, our connection to God is stronger than any of that nonsense. Certainly, we can go that way. In fact, I remember uh, back in January when, uh, uh, when Marilyn was leading us through the basics of science of mind, there was, uh, I think in week number two, she talked about it's where our belief is where we go. Where our belief goes is where we go. So if we believe that we're doomed to follow in the steps of our parents and their diseases, well, there we go. If we believe that somehow uh, we've treated our body badly and now we must pay the price, if that's truly our belief, well then there we go. But why would we go there? See, I'm a little unwilling to just throw in the towel in areas like that. I intend to be a perhaps cranky, but nonetheless a long-lived, vibrant individual. Uh, and, and I only throw in the crankiness bit because uh, I think of the political climate lately has made me a little cranky. And I know I'm going to outlive that. <laughs> so I invite you to do the same. If you want to have a nice mental equivalent, why not also have a nice mental equivalent of living a long, healthy life? 
maybe picture yourself on your 112th birthday uh, uh, being uh, somewhere and having a dance party, right? It's like, why would we have a picture of anything less than complete vitality through all the years of our life? And when we begin having that picture of vitality, when we begin recognizing uh, what we should experience, what we'd like to experience, when we begin socializing that, when we see ourselves as part of it, when we do all of those things that we do with a mental equivalent in terms of praying about it and taking steps forward to make sure that it comes about through proper exercise and diet and doing the things we need to do in terms of annual checkups and so on, when we're participating in it, when we visualize it vividly, when it is the truth of what we see for ourselves, oh my gosh. So uh, I think I'm running out of time here, but I would invite you all at some point to ask me about my great-grandmother that lived to be 103 years old. And literally the day before she passed away, in her own home I might add, she did her canning for the winter. And so at at 103, she was putting up pickles the day before she passed on in her own home near the fairgrounds in Salem, Oregon. Now that's my idea of a mental equivalent for a robust, healthy life. Why should it be any different for me? Why should it be any different for anyone here in the sanctuary today? Well, I'm going to leave you uh, uh, with a, uh, a quote and a joke and some homework. But first, of course, you, you have to hear my joke for today. So a man went to see his doctor because he was suffering from just a miserable cold. His doctor prescribed some pills, but they didn't help. A week later, the doctor gave him a shot. Didn't do any good either. On his third visit, the doctor gave him some advice, suggested he go home, take a hot bath. As soon as he was finished bathing, he was to throw open the windows and stand in the draft. (laughs) Doctor protested the patient, if I do that, I'm sure to get pneumonia. I know, said the physician, I can cure pneumonia. (laughs) And so where is your belief? Where is your belief? How are you to be cured today? How are you to experience the life of health and vitality that you so deserve? As you know, the, uh, the book that we're using this month uh, has kind of an added feature in addition to lovely readings. It also includes a prayer. So let me close today with uh, the reading and the prayer. Your homework is a simple one. It's simply to evaluate your own physical condition if you're finding it lacking, wanting in any way. What's your plan? What is your plan for using that three-step process for creating health in your own life? So Ernest Holmes, this is a, a section called, I Recognize the Spirit Within. He says, spiritual mind healing has long since passed an experimental stage. We know now that we cannot tell where the body begins and the mind leaves off. Many of us believe that the organs, actions, and functions of the physical body are activities of infinite intelligence within us. To come to realize then that there is one body, which is the body of God, and which at the same time is our own body, 
is to accept a greater influx of the one life and the one vitality of that life. Let us pray. There is one life. That life is God. That life is perfect. That life is my life now. Every organ, action, and function of my physical body is in harmony with the divine life. If there is anything in me that does not belong, it is easily eliminated. If there is anything that my physical body needs or wants, it is effortlessly supplied. My body is daily renewed after that image of perfection which is held in the mind of God. I affirm then that my body is the body of God. The life of the Spirit does circulate through it. The law of the Spirit does govern it. The love of the Spirit does sustain it. My whole life is God in action. For this I give great thanks. I let it be, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. So glad you were here. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.